This is a Federal News Network podcast. The Air Force is hard at work on a project to replace its crucial weather satellites. A billion-dollar low-Earth orbit baby is expected to launch in 2023. It will bring all sorts of new capabilities in weather data gathering. My next guest has been shepherding this project, and he's a finalist in this year's Service to America Medals program. We welcome Air Force Systems Engineer Chong Lee. Mr. Lee, good to have you on. Thank you. Thank you for having me here today, Tom. Tell us about this project. What does it look like? What is the orbit going to be? What's the timetable? Give us the background here. Okay. The Weather Satellite Project uh, that our organization is developing is called the Weather Satellite Follow-On Microwave, also known as WS. M. The satellite is being designed and built for the U.S. Space Force by the Ball Aerospace Corporation. Now, this satellite is flying at a, a nominal altitude of about 800 kilometers in a synchronous orbit and scheduled for launch, as you say, you know, in late 2023. Now, in this orbit that the satellite is flying, in general, you will see the satellite rising over you at around 6 to 6.15 a.m. in the morning and then setting behind you at around 6 p.m. in the evening every day. Uh, This is important as we need to gather the weather data globally every day. So WSFM is uh, one of many Earth environmental sensing satellites that include the the U.S. Space Force uh, Meteorology Satellite Program, which we are trying to replace them. The NOAA Polar Orbit Environmental Satellite, as well as other weather satellites, flying from other international partners from around the world. So the, the ocean wind speed and the direction that the WSFM weather satellite is going together will be provided to all our U.S. armed force and, and meteorologists for tracking the storms, you know, like including the, uh, the hurricane, sure. typhoon, forecasting kind of thing. And is this going to be one of several similar satellites eventually that will go maybe crisscross and get better coverage? It will be one of the satellites working with other satellites to ingest the data into the model to do the forecast. You're right. Absolutely. And so the first one then, the first of a new generation, you might say, what can it do that the existing satellite that it replaces cannot do? Or what does it improve on? Okay. WSFM continues with the legacy DOD microwave mission. But we are taking the advantage of the new technology uh, provided by our contractor. Here's the ball aerospace. Uh, let's say, comparing to the DMSP satellite, the current DOD DMSP satellite cannot provide the ocean surface wind directions. The weather instrument on the WSFM satellite will add new technology, you know, new digital receivers that will provide both the wind speed and the direction of the ocean surface. And also with a large antenna, which we also call it a, a, a reflector, a main reflector, WSFM will provide the higher resolution imagery so you can see the storm structure clearer than the oldest system can provide. Yeah, I guess wind direction is kind of an important thing to know along with speed. Correct. That's one of the DOD environmental monitor gap that we're trying to provide. We're speaking with Chong Lee, Air Force Systems Engineer and also a finalist in this year's Service to America Medals program. So the resulting capabilities then come from new instruments that are aboard? Is there also something new about the satellite itself, the platform? Yes, 
the instruments are new, talk about the instruments first. Oh, we have two instruments flying on board the WSFM satellite, again, to try to address the DOD's environmental monitor gap. The, the microwave imager, or the, the MWI, and the energetic charged particle sensor. The MWI sensor collects the data that we use to characterize and measure the ocean wind speed and directions. The uh, tropical cyclone intensity, soil moisture, snow depth, etc., and the energetic charge particle sensor measure the flux of the electrons and proton in the space environment at the WSFM satellite. The energetic charge particle sensor particle in the space at times cause the interruptions of the satellite operation. So knowing the space radiation environments around the satellite is very important. Now, in terms of the spacecraft itself, you know, we have a large antenna called the uh, reflector. It has a, uh, about 1.8 meter in diameter. Now, it's, it's, and we have sensor, uh, energy, energetic type particle sensor is deployed uh, along the boom. Those are kind of like a little bit new from the uh, all aerospace design. All right, so you've got mechanics, you've got electronics, you've got new sensing technologies, and you've got a whole new shell to put this all in. How do you keep everything integrated and moving toward the same goal at the same time? My job is leading a technical team to work with our contractors, the Aerospace, the Air Force Research Lab and Naval Research Lab, and other stakeholders to make sure that we deliver the, the, the satellite to meet the required capability on time. So we work with them together. You know, we, we're using, you know, all these tools that we can, like uh, we're using all these electronic tools to, for the meeting to uh, uh, approve the contract letters, procedural uh, procedures, that kind of thing. You know, we have meetings every day to try to make sure that we're on track. And what type of engineer are you? You're called a systems engineer. Are you mechanically oriented, electronically oriented, or, or what? I'm uh, a general engineer. You know, we're looking because we are reviewing all these contract design, make sure that, you know, they're, they're meeting the requirement that we fall down to them. So I have a background as a mechanical engineer, mechanical engineering, but I also train it as an aerospace engineer so that we can support the space development program. Sure. And how big is the satellite compared to, say, a bread box or a minivan or what? Yeah, the, 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 uh, the satellite has a, a dimension of like, uh, if it's in the launch position, it is about like 8 feet by 10 feet by 12 feet. It's about a minivan, a small minivan. But when you deploy in space, it's about 8 feet by 10 feet by 18 feet because the antenna is going to deploy and then it's going to be, you know, moving up. Yeah, so you have to pay a lot of attention to that mechanical system because it's only got one chance to unfurl once it's up there, huh? Exactly. You know, the deployment system is uh, critical to the mission. So, we want, you know, we make sure that, you know, the system uh, will be tested many times in different environments. So we'll be able to launch it, deploy it, you know, correctly. And what status is it in now? Partially assembled or is the... Yeah, the, uh, the mechanical deployment system is right now in acceptance testing. So we are testing at the, at the Nordic Grumman site, who is building the uh, deployment assembly for ball aerospace so they can integrate the system. The instruments is right now is in the unit-level testing right now, and you know, next year we'll be able to integrate the whole sensor and, and deliver to the space vehicle and then integrate it as a whole. So, 
So we are, we are in the testing phase right now. And what kind of download broadband will you have for it? We're using microfrequency to do the emissions. You know, we have signals uh, to download the data to the ground. You're planning on being there for the launch? I mean, this will be the culmination of everything. Oh, right. Exactly. You know, we are launching it at Vandenberg Air Force Base. The team will be there to monitor all these launch activities. And you'll have a rabbit's foot with you? Oh, uh, yes, exactly. All right, and cross your fingers. Chong Lee is a systems engineer for the Air Force and a finalist in this year's Service to America Medals program. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you very much, Tom. It's been a great experience. Enjoy the Labor Day holiday. Okay. We'll post this interview plus a link to more information at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con- consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from sea to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them 
I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell C-Stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from 
talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler, and to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast. We'll see you next time. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.